Thank you. 
You can't be fair, man, unless you know the man's secret. And to know the man's secret, you have to be the spirit of that man. So who could betray a man but himself? So no man takes you my life. I lay down myself. The power to lift it up and the power to lay it down again. So no man takes you my life. So he knew the one who would betray and should betray him because he is himself. He is self-betrayed. He knows the secret to the point where everything is happening in this world because he is so cross of all the things that he encounters, that he experiences, that is to other cause. He knows it. And so he has betrayed the Creator's spirit within himself. He knows what is the cause of it. He has found it in himself. His own fundamental human imagining is the Christ spirit in him that really is the cause of the phenomenon of his life. He knows that. And so now he's self-betrayed. He will share with the world, but who will accept it? He will tell it to the world, and so they will themselves judge to what extent they will go with him. And when he comes to the statement that no man can come unto me, except the Father who certainly draws him, we draw the line there. Now let me share with you what has been given to me. The gentleman is here tonight, and this is his story, as given me last Tuesday night after the meeting. The scenes were all right individually, but for some reason or other, I just wasn't satisfied with the story. So Sunday morning, realizing that the story was the problem and not my treatment of the story. I did this. I put myself into the shoes of Robert Louis Stevenson. And then I imagined how he must have felt after he had written a good story. Then, I went back and put on my own shoes and tried to match that feeling which I have imagined to be Stevenson's feeling as he felt having produced a good story. That was the technique that he employed. It always happened while I was taking my morning walk. When I came home, I began to list point by point to my wife of what I thought was wrong with the story. And then, point by point, I felt someone standing behind me and counting me. And suddenly, the solution to each point came into my mind. Just as if someone was standing behind me and counting me. And the whole thing came into my mind, point by point. Now he said, I should add that while I was gone, my wife had imagined wonderful things are happening. Wonderful things are happening. Wonderful things are happening. She said, I'm quite sure that your wife would understand. But when a man is at home day in and day out, I would not have to use generalizations, sweeping generalizations. So she would understand that because my wife and I spent the 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We are the same place. And so he, the writer, 
because you omitted the link in the right lane. Because had I said it, she would instantly have thought of Eddie. So I didn't mention that characterization. Then I omitted completely from my vocabulary the use of the words unwanted and rejected. Which, by the way, in describing this character, he felt himself unwanted and rejected. But in spite of these omissions, she said to me, you are talking about Eddie. And then, said he, I was stunned that my wife, in a description of a character I conceived six years ago, could see in that character and not see that character. But I'm talking only of one character she knows is Eddie. So I really should sign this letter worried. For the simple reason, having written all my life, I created some characters that I'm in no hurry to meet in the flesh. <laughs> so, everyone has done that. Then you go, and of course, I quickly turn to your book, The Law of the Promise, and reread the chapter. Um, there is no fiction. And now, said he, with this off my chest, as it were, I must say something good in favor of an outside God and candles. So in my present state of mind, I think that really such a thing, an outside God, would be more comforting than to be that God created all of these things that's coming into my world. When I reflect upon the characters as a writer, I have conceived and projected on the screen characters I don't really want to meet in a hurry, not in the flesh. Then he said, I hope you'll keep this letter in a safe place. Because if I ever want proof or insanity, I would have it. You keep it in a safe place, and there I need it to prove my insanity, but there is the proof. So here, this one, this gentleman, has gone all the way. And is willing now from his confession in this letter to admit that the character Eddie, that seemingly came by accident after great rainstorm, that all the cars were rushed in the neighborhood, and Eddie had no job for the day, and coming his way up the hill, up to where he lives in his tent, this gentleman very kindly gave him a lift, and the friendship began there. Because outside of this friendship, which he said is the same intense feeling he has for him that he had for his character, and he always had for the character. They have no social meeting point. They do not travel in the same social circle, intellectual circle, financial circle. Yet, there is a closer feeling, I'm quite sure, towards this baby than he has towards making the intents of those who were in his circle. And he created any. So I said that everyone, you may not recognize the character. Maybe you're not a writer. I have written to the point where you can remember an actual character that you created out of the nowhere and have it produced and saw the production yourself and moved hours to see the character that you remember. And then you ran into the fresh and dried character that he conceived six years before. So the sixth chapter of the book of John. No one can come unto me unless the Father who was sent me draws him. The last day, I will lift him up. All right.
taking a shower, I'm suddenly, I'm presently recalling a story of six years ago. And when I recall it, and when I suddenly, it dawns upon me, what well, I've been walking around this past two years in the company of one that I myself have created and I didn't recognize it. Here is a man in my own world, and for two years he's been in my life. I'm going to end him with a black world, and I didn't recognize my own creation. But that's what the worst does all day long. It draws only its own, but doesn't recognize its own creation. No man cometh unto me, save I call him. For my father and I alone. So if he can't come unless my father draws him, he can't come unless I draw him. For I and my father are one. And so I'm drawing every being into my world. Good, bad, or indifferent. So when I think he is not, and he crosses my path morning and night, he is not good, you can't trust him. Where in my world can I go back to that moment of mistrust in me when I really couldn't trust myself? I thought I was afraid of my own behavior if given an opportunity. If I thought I could get away with it, I might. But I may not be allowed to sit down and write the story. I could enact the story. I could walk to a story. And if no one really had eyes upon me, I thought they didn't, I might contemplate with pleasure an act that if caught would be quite embarrassing to those who love me. I might. Even without I ever contemplated that, someone's going to cross my path and come right into my world. I'm going to play that right in my world. I may condemn for it, but in condemning him, I'm condemning myself because he is my very self. Bearing witness to my own creations. Bearing witness. I told a story here once, many years ago. It was a very intimate story. And I told it certainly not to build any able here, but to encourage every person in this world to forgive everything in this world, because you're the cause of the behavior of everyone you're observing in this world. And I tell it in a intimate manner because it struck home forcefully. And I was severely criticized by the audience for it, and criticized the following month by the wife of the gentleman who brought me to this town to give a series of lectures. And she never, I thought that was very, very unbecoming. And so many have criticized you for it. They've written me letters. I can't tell you about many of them are letters I've received that are very, very critical of what you said from the platform. I said, I didn't say for any purpose other than to show everyone that they are the cause of the misbehaviors of others that they condemn. They are the cause of it. And so, I tried to explain to her that it was not a condemnation of the person. I was putting myself, I was the cause of her arrest, the cause of her action. And this is the story. I was married and separated for 15 years. No divorce and no final separation, no legal separation, but separated. I was married at the age of 18, father 19, separated 20. And then for the next 15 years, we lived our separate lives and only saw each other when she tried me into court for non-payment of alimony. That's the only time we ever saw each other. 
And so that was the picture. So I told that story. All these things are happening. And one day, I knew I wanted to get married to a certain party, who is now the mother of my daughter. But I had all this entangled personal life. And that separated legally. And you can't get divorced in New York City, except on one grounds, the most archaic law in the world, that the nothing but collusion goes on in the courts, divorce courts in New York City. So I was going to get forced upon man because of the archaic law. Well, I was in my divorce. And then she was told by a very close, intimate friend of mine that I wanted a divorce and to really leave town, get out of town. But my friend didn't want me to get a divorce and marry the girl that I eventually married. So I thought, well, I, I will now apply this law and I stepped as though I was happily married to the girl who now bears my name. And at the end of a week, my dancing partner, my thought, was the one who had been told her to fly, and she was. She came to me and told me that she had been as a brother. Just a brother. She could never marry me because there was not that feeling towards me. But that made me very happy. And then, the other one was gone now, never to be punished again. So, the world would think. But I still stepped in the assumption that I was happily married. And one morning the phone rang. As I answered the phone, it's the court, courtroom calling. This is the federal building. I said, yes. Are you deaf daughter? Yes. Are you in a public speaking post by the name of Neville? I said, yes. Well, now you've got to be in court next Tuesday morning at 10. Well, I was too sleepy to ask why. And so next Tuesday morning, just a little before 10, here, the phone rings again. Are you never daughter? I said, yes. And why aren't you in court? Did we call you last Tuesday to tell you to be in court today? I said, why should I be in court? What's wrong that I should be in court? I have been subpoenaed. Then said, this party will go around. You're a public character. And the reporters are always in court. And I'm not to get this bit of story into the papers. And the papers today. Well, I said, what's wrong? They said, well, your wife happens to be on trial. And so if you would come on down, I'd make you to throw some light upon this. So I went on down. Going to the courtroom just in time to see them bring up into the dark as it were. The three judges came in, took their position, and then someone whispered to one judge, and then the voice said, Is Mr. Garland in the courtroom? I said, I'm here. Would you take the stand? You're not swearing, not under oath, but maybe you could help us to throw a little light here. And so I took the stand. And they asked me if you were the same religious faith. They said, no, she was born a Catholic. I was born a Protestant. But that's no problem. She is not a Protestant Catholic, and I'm not a Protestant Protestant. So it's not that no problem at all. And then he said, well, then, could you throw some light? I said, first of all, she's eight years my senior. And you know, my age, the you must know her age. She's undoubtedly passing through some emotional disturbance. And so when a woman is passing through space, well, they can do any irrational thing. What she's now charged with, I am quite sure she's never done it before. Even if you have the evidence to support it, I still say she's never done it before. I will swear she'll never do it again. I ask you for my son's sake, who lives with me, that if you've got to sentence her, that for the Lord's sake, sentence her, but then be merciful and suspended. 
He said, I've never heard a plea in this court of mine, similar to that, in all my years on the pitch, from a man who had nothing to gain by this merciful plea of his, when he really wanted to depart, because they have all the problems before us, taken from your wife when she was in jail for this past week, waiting for this dead trial. He said, I'll act upon your recommendation, Mr. Garner. I've offended you for six months and suspended so you've got to come before me again. Mary had met me in the dropping. He said, that was a very decent thing of you to do, devil. Give me the papers. I said, I don't have any papers, but they come over, I can do. We were together. First time in these many, many years, we were closer than between the judge and the bench. We were together to my hotel, and I gave them the papers. I had not been able to serve for unnumbered months. Here were the papers. And we got my divorce uncontested. So I told that story to say that I caused her to do what she did. And I might assume that I was free to marry the girl that now bears my name. She would never have done these things at all. And so she goes into a store, and the first coming of eyes, she picks up something that she hadn't paid for. And someone saw it. I'm sorry it was a silly thing. But nevertheless, she did it. And that's what brought her into the city that I could find her. And she was moved to ask me to give her the papers because I pleaded for her. And so having done all this, who actually was the culprit? I was the culprit. She came right into my world to play a certain part, to grant me my freedom. I'm speaking of the law of liberty. And so, should she be condemned to her act with by the unseen author of her? I didn't write about by sitting down and writing a book that I determined the behavior of that party, that she had to do something in order to not have to take the papers from me. And so I turned it on to show that don't condemn anyone. You and you alone are the author of the things happening in your life. And therefore, you will condemn a man, this gentleman, right into his script. A limp in the right lane. Here comes a man with a limp in the right lane. He writes everything into an imaginary character, and he isn't imaginary at all. You can't distinguish between what the world calls the imaginary and reality. You can't. This is all wrong. And so people could not go beyond a certain limit. And so you could say, well, I will assume that I am what I want to be, and things happen in my world like this. But don't tell me now that I've actually created her in that character I did. And so many departed never to work with him again. Never. And so he turns now to the twelve who remain. He said, Would you go also? And Peter answered, To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe I have come to know that you are the holy one of God. But to whom is Peter speaking? He isn't speaking to another. Whoever is the character written in this drama as Peter came to that decision within himself. It's the most difficult thing in the world to accept. For this is the cause of secession. The secession of that government because they will not accept the fact that they are actually the cause of these things that are living and moving in their world. Some crippled, some limited, some lame, and they are the cause of it. 
will not accept it, you know, right? They left him, never to work with him again. And then Peter said, what does woman begin? You have the words of eternal life. These are true. And now to whom will I turn? For you know we have believed. And we have come to know you are the Holy God of God. No thought but turn back down to Matthew. And you see the answer. Who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah come again. Some say Jeremiah. And some say prophet of old. Doesn't respond to that. He asks another question. But whom do you say that I am? And Peter becomes a spokesman. And Peter answers, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not told you this, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. Who is the Father in heaven? He said, I am the Father. And you see, you see the Father. So who but the Spirit in man is revealing? What Christ really is. No God to come again. No reincarnation. But man has Christ within him. And he's awakening. No man will know him more. So the gentleman wrote the story concerning Eddie. If you know, up until now, I really wanted to wake up. And then try to wake up. But now, I'm trying definitely to go to sleep again. Although he doesn't want what he really doesn't need, he doesn't want what he's just discovered. This enormous responsibility to be responsible for the character that he has created. And the all black and blue, and one after the other, would enter his circle and become an intimate and one that he really is very fond of. One that he created, and endowed him with all these strange things, a peculiar mental unbalance, and a limp in his right leg, and unwanted by society, and looked down by the neighborhood, putting him in a across society from society, and make him unwanted and unwashed, and, well, repellent in many ways. And all these things he does to a character and falls in love with the character. So you can see the words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're playing all these parts because their matches of men and women are writing dramas. And the world is forever falling under the spell of the matches of men and women. No matter what the world will tell you, the world is falling under the spell of those who are awake or writing intensely with emotion. So today, you try it. I hope but the job that is yours, don't tell me. But I hope you can go all the way. And don't tell anyone you can go all the way because the spirit in you, he knows. Well, you can really go all the way or you turn back tonight and take only a portion of it. But even with a portion of it, take it. So there's a law, the law of the identical office. As a man is so, so shall he be. The goddess of what is supposed to be weaves your deepest. And you'll find in the end, everything is simply bearing witness to man, what man has done. As breaks are linked to the heat and the wild, to the thorns and the thistles of the waste. And they told me how they were beguiled, and driven out, and compelled to chase. And you would not believe for one moment that Greg is telling us that the unwholesome suppressions of the normal natural urges of the 
animal body that we wear are the clothes, are the thorns and the thistles of the waste. The society is clamped down about all the normal, natural urges of the human animal body, because these are animal bodies that we wear. And by putting a tag upon the natural urges, then comes thorns and thistles of the waste. And what Baptist would believe that? He doesn't believe that for one second. And he thinks he's going to kill them by some insecticide or some other kind of thing. And go out and burn the wind. They'll all come back. As long as man walks the earth, who can impose these restrictions on growing healthy bodies, and we call them moral laws. There's a thing of this world, but man, because God is the only reality, and God is man. Man is God. So man is all creation, and God is man, and exists in us and we in him. The eternal body of man is the imagination, and that is God himself. So I tell you, whether it be a writer, as this young man writes, and undoubtedly writes from about the world to earn the kind of money he earns from his own conversion. And so he writes it, and luckily he was spotted. But he lived with him for two years before he realized he was his own creation. But now what he did to rectify this problem of the story, you can do it. Being a writer, he took a great imaginative writer, anyone who could write, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, but you certainly have an idea in that when you take Robert Louis Stevenson. And he could put his feet into the feet and the shoes of such an imaginative writer. And then, right behind him, someone, it was Stevenson, he called him by a mood. You can tell by the mood that you wear, for you're going to meet in this world. You wear moods, and they come. And he caught the mood. He wondered, what would the mood be like? What would it be like? And who? Asking who? He's asking, what would Stevenson be like? How did he feel after he finished what he considered a good script, a good story. And having caught that mood, but he said, I got back in my own shoes. And then I tried to match my own feeling to what I had imagined Stevenson must have felt. And so that he got them mated. And then to agree not touching anything in this earth, it shall be established for them in this world. If to agree, but he called the one with whom he wanted to agree in moods. And then as though someone stood behind it and dictated the solution of every point that he brought upon it. It all came into his mind. It would be no problem for this man, a writer, to sit down and write it up. After the all solved in his mind. Then, taking his job and feeling very happy about what had just happened, he very presently recalls an experience six years ago. And while he's contemplating it, it's like a sledgehammer on his head. Who would have thought he'd been walking around with his own creation for two years and didn't recognize it? And he didn't want to spread it on his wife. He thought, I'll test this first before I spread it on her. And so he described the character, leaving out very definite things like the link in the right leg and the use of the two words, unwanted, rejected. And leaving out things that were given the cue, she still could spot the character was Eddie. And so, that story you can take to heart tonight. What would it be like 
of the book of John. It really is the secession chapter. They all departed, never to walk with him again. And only the few remained. And he turned, and they said, Oh, we know. You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed you. And we have come to know. It didn't come overnight. We have come to know you are the Holy One of God. For the Holy One of God is God himself. You come to know it. When you are pointing to a man, you found a creative presence in yourself. And although the world is trying to make you feel that a creative presence is a power, speak of it as it. Don't personalize it. Oh, yes, you do. It's yourself you found. Aren't you a person? So Christ is in you as the creative power in you. You are doing it, and you are a person. Therefore, Christ is a person. So is, it, is your Christ a person? You always talk about Christ as the creative power. He is not only a person, he's the only person. He is the heavenly man. You're finding in yourself the heavenly man. The man that cannot die, the immortal you. And when you find him, don't let him go. Let everything else go, but don't let him go. So then Paul writes to Timothy. He said, I know whom I have believed. Not what. Whom. And he's speaking now of Christ. And yet he defines Christ as the power and the wisdom of God. Having defined it as power and wisdom, he personifies it, personalizes it, because of himself, which we found. He found it in himself. You'll never find him on the outside. And so, to what extent this night you can go with the testimony of Christ Jesus? Can you go all up and say that no man, no one, male or female, can come unto me unless my Father who sent me draws it? And I'll raise him up for the last day. Leave that section alone. That's going to happen anyway. But to what extent can you accept that testimony that no one can come unto me unless my Father who sent me draws it? And I and my Father are one because I am in my Father and my Father is in me. Can I go that far? And then go all out that not one being in this world could cross my path that I did not call. And those who come more intimately to my circle, they really have been like in front of You will start dwelling upon the so-called tyrants of the world and traveling your mind far. You'll find he doesn't really live in Russia. He lives right next door. Comes right in. And then you will have to get rid of him. You've been creating in your mind for like a certain something, and he comes right into your world. You draw them, as you draw them under the panel. Now, let us go into the silence. Everything in Scripture from beginning to end is all about you. Not the garment that you're wearing, but you, the wearer of that garment. Everything from beginning to end is your real autobiography. Much of it you have not yet experienced, but it still is yours to be experienced, therefore truly an autobiography. At the moment you may read it as a biography, but don't think it is of a never. It's all about you. The most insane revelation will prove itself true one day you experience it. It's all about you. When the child was brought forth and it was quickly cut up into heaven, you have that experience. The child will vanish from those who would try to destroy it. And the other destructive powers of the world are still begotten by you. All is 
in a straight dream when man was sound asleep. So you were that being. I hope tonight you saw who Judas was. Not some being who betrayed what the whole vast Christian world believes to be their Lord. No one could have betrayed a man unless he knew that man's secret. And no person knows a man's secret but the spirit of that man in him. Who is Judas? And the word Judas means the praise of Jehovah. Judas is praise. But man thinks that drama took place 2,000 years ago, and it's taking place. All hell said, no man takes my life, I lay down myself. If no man takes my life, then what are you paying a man for? I laid it down in every garment that moves upon the face of the earth. Unless I die, thou canst not live. But if I die, I shall rise again, and thou with me. And so he became man, that man would become God. And he did it voluntarily. You can imagine, well, that's Christ. That's the power of God. And it is personified, though a power, because you're a person, therefore it is a person. Every evil act of the world needs a man as an agent, therefore it is a man. Every noble act needs a man as an agent, therefore it is man. So it's all personified. So the scripture personifies the powers. Yeah, that's right, they are powers. They are personified. Yes, sir. We're coming with that, not just in future, right from this platform, but with answer. Some claim that man is constantly robbed by looking back or looking forward. He is so concerned about what he did and what he is going to do, what he only encountered and what he hopes to encounter, and he omits the everlasting purpose, which is all I am. So Christ defines himself as I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life.
Thank you.